All right. Ladies, I'm very excited to introduce to you um, Pastor Deb Curgis. She, she is a pillar here, <laughs> not just because she's been here a long time. <laughs> no, but she's just part of the stability of, of what of ministry here, and um, she's also one uh, in charge of Freedom Ministries here, and I'm asking her to uh, illuminate to you all the opportunities that there are involved in Freedom Ministries. But she's amazing. She's my, um, she's my go-to pastor, and she's my go-to friend. And I want you to welcome Pastor Deb Curgis this morning. Thank you, Karen. You know, all of the, that stuff that she just said, really all that means is that I'm old, and I'm older than her, and don't try to guess how much. So uh, a couple of things. As we were worshiping, I, I, Karen, is it, are you okay if I give the information at the end? Okay. Um, I want to um, want you to turn your attention to the 23rd Psalm a minute. It seems like this morning we kept hearing goodness and we kept hearing mercy. And this psalm just kind of came into my heart, and I just want to share something quick on that before we get started. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, no matter what we're going through, isn't it good to know that we have a shepherd? We have someone who is leading us. We have someone who walks through it with us. And as you're going to hear today, sometimes I've walked through things and it seems I've walked through them quite well. Other times I have stumbled along. And if you're in one of those places where you have stumbled along or maybe you're stumbling along right now, I want you to know, and I believe God wants you to know, that he's saying surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And not only that, because he is goodness and because he is mercy, they not only follow you all the days of their, your life, they surround you all the days of your life. So even if you're looking this way and you can't see him, he's there. So be encouraged with that. And I think that, uh, I think that it's just really easy in our world to let down our guard. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. So we're going to talk today, this message, they probably have it up there. Nope, they don't. The name of this message is Abundantly Free. You know, I think women, don't we like words like abundantly? I mean, that's kind of a nice word for women. And, and uh, you know... Jesus, when he was talking about the shepherd, speaking of shepherds, when he was talking about the shepherd who left the 99 and went out to find the one, he said this, he said, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This morning, you know, as we're sitting here, even in the midst, even if you're in a hard place, aren't you glad that he left the multitudes and found you? I know that I sure am. And I love that he came not only to seek, but he came to save. Uh, 
And that word save means so much more. If you were here a few weeks ago, you heard Pastor Duane talk about the word sozo. And that word sozo is often thought of as the all-inclusive word of the gospel because it includes all of God's redemptive acts. And we can tend to think about salvation as that day that I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart, or that day that I got a ticket to heaven, or that day that all of my sins were forgiven. We could look at it that way, but it was so, so much more. It was so, so more. <laughs> well, that was pretty good. Come on. You could laugh. <laughs> and that was unexpected. I had not planned that. So... But sozo is the Greek word for salvation, and it implies all the ideas of things like deliverance and safety, freedom, uh, prosperity, financial health and health, and all of these things are included in that. And I love when you read something and it tells you that, you know, a word uh, like sozo appears over a hundred times in the New Testament, because you know what that says to me? And that's why I decided to call this abundantly free because this means that Jesus made it possible for us to be abundantly free. And in um, John 32, Jesus was talking to some of the believing Jews there, and he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you know, when we abide with someone, and we abide in a place, there is a surrender that is somewhat implied in that. Because I don't know about you, but if you're married, sometimes if you're abiding with your husband in the same abode, you end up uh, you know, having to surrender. Sometimes you wish he would surrender more. But in our walk with God, you know, we are in this place, and he says that, that, if, that if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what that really means is that, you know what, I mean, that's not like you might know the truth, that might you, know, you might know some of the truth, but you will know the truth that you need when you need it, if you position yourself in a surrendered place. Um, Jesus um, really, when he announced why he came to the earth, he said this, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can't you just see God's heart in that for you and, and, and me? I mean, if you can't see it for you, at least see it for me, okay? Uh, but his heart is in there. In a world that so often does give us that so-so stuff, he really does give us the so-so salvation, all of it. It's all there. And this is really good news because if you're like me, you maybe had a few years before you came to know him and you maybe accumulated a little bit of baggage, maybe some hurts here and there, a few wounds, you know, those types of things that really cause our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions to have pain and to, to have room for the enemy to breathe lies in that will cause us to be held in a place where it's almost like we're captive. And when you're a captive in any way, what do you want more than anything else? Freedom. You want someone to come and free you. You don't even care who it is, but this is really good because we get the best freer of people that there is. Um, so, you know, the, the issue is, though, that there is an enemy. And so, you know, this is all really, really good news, but it's like now you see the villain come on the stage, you know. There's an enemy. And... 
And I thought about this, and I thought about how to say this, and I'm not saying this to put any kind of fear in anybody's heart or anything like that, so take this how I mean it. Satan is like a woman whose child has been kidnapped. Now think about this. What if, and this would never happen to you, but what if, hypothetically, someone kidnapped your child? You would do everything you knew to do to get that child back. You would be tenacious. You would be digging in every place you could to try to do what you could to find this rascal that took your, your child. And that's what the devil does. If you think about this, you know, the scripture says that just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And, and so he knows that, that really we once belonged to him. And he also knows that someone came and took us away. And he is doing everything he can to try to get us back. He's warring against us. And if the enemy finds any part in us or any little place where he can get us to believe a lie, he's going to do everything he can. He'll be tenacious about capitalizing on that. And so the good news is, is that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices, right? So uh, I, I want to tell, I'm going to tell you two stories. And you know, you, if you know me very well, I usually do not tell long stories. These are a little bit longer than normal. And uh, they're a little more personal than normal. But I'm going to tell you anyhow, uh, because I felt like I was supposed to. So it was the beginning of the year 2015. And uh, oh, it was great. It started out to be a great year. It was like the first day of the year, I felt like God gave me a word for the year. The word was peace. And I love peace. I mean, what a wonderful word to have. And so I grabbed hold of peace, and I started studying about peace. I thought, oh, God, maybe I'm going to get to teach on peace. I thought, oh, this is really good. I, and I just really took in everything I could about peace. I listened to songs about peace. I mean, I just enveloped myself in peace. And it was about that time that we were singing that song a lot. And so the lyrics were rolling around in my head that I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. I let go my soul and trust in him. The waves and the winds still know his name. Through it all, through it all, it is well. And, and that song would just go around, and I just loved that song because it just gave me such a peace. I thought of the, 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 the uh, stormy sea being calmed and the peace that came. But here we were, and we were in the midst of wedding planning for our oldest daughter and showers and all of those things, and I decided I was just going to shove my mammogram off. I thought, I'm just going to wait, and I'll do that after the wedding. It was only a couple more months. And, you know, God is good and he will give you little things. He will speak to you in a way where you suddenly just have an urging. Maybe you sense something. I didn't sense anything physical at all. But I just had this urgency, like, you know, you need to call today and make that appointment. So I made the appointment, and I was in great peace. My husband was in great peace. We're just enjoying this really peaceful time. And so I went, and they did some tests, and... Uh, can you open that for me? They did some tests, and of course, and you love those tests, those of you who have had one. Uh, they did the test, and so I thought, good, that's done, and I went home. And it was like a day later or two, they called me back, and they said, oh, we need to have you to come in for an ultrasound. And so I said, okay. I mean, I'm at peace. It was a, it was a crazy peace. didn't bother me at all. I was just in peace. So I go in to have the ultrasound, and the guy who's doing the ultrasound, don't you love it when it's a guy who's doing the ultrasound? <laughs> but it was a guy doing the ultrasound. And, 
And he's, he's looking very troubled. And he said to me, he said, well, he said, you're gonna need a biopsy. And I said, okay. And he looked at me and he said, I said, you're going to have a biopsy. And I said, okay. And, and he said, well, he said, it doesn't look good, it's cancer. And I said, okay. And he said, do you have someone to drive you home? And I said, no. I said, I'm fine, I'm driving home. And he said, okay. <laughs> but you know, I had great peace. I had great, great peace. And of course, we, you know, the first thing you do is you pray for healing, and, and then you pray and you listen. And the thing that we felt uh, that God had put it on both of our hearts separately to say is pray that they see whatever they need to see. And so when they saw something, we, we were okay because God had told us to pray that way. And so anyhow, long story short, I'm still in tremendous peace. We're in great peace. And, and uh, they do the, they do the, they set me all up. We do the thing. I have an MRI the day before the procedure. And they said, oh, there are two tumors that we're going to be taking out. And, and I said, okay. <laughs> They're kind of like, okay, do you need any other information? I said, nope, I'm good. And so then uh, went in and uh, they did the MRI and lo and behold, they didn't find anything. And I was like, I wasn't surprised by that. I'm still at peace. So then the day of the surgery comes, the surgery goes very well. And the doctor comes back and he has this very puzzled look on his face. And he said, well, this just never happens. We found a third one. And he said, it just never happens. I mean, I'd had the MRI the day before. So anyhow, peace. I had peace that whole year. God was just so good. It was actually one of the best years that I could have imagined in a lot of ways. And uh, the, the surgery ended up being, oh, the worst part of this was, let me give you a little hint. If you have daughters, and if your daughters love you, and if some major event, like in their minds, like a surgery that could be life-threatening in their minds, if, if you have an opportunity to tell them right away, you probably should. Because I decided not to, because with the wedding and everything, I thought, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna not, I don't want them to be concerned about it, didn't want to spoil anything. So it was like a couple of days before the surgery, and I told them. And I still hear about it today. Uh, but, but they, and they were so concerned about it. And, and I said, and they were just looking at us like, what's wrong with you two? And, and I mean, they should have known because they know that, that what we believe and everything. But um, it was interesting because when I was talking to them, I had to remind them, you know, the doctors were the ones who told us that you're never gonna be able to have kids. And I said, look at you two. I think the doctors might be wrong sometimes. And, and then uh, I also had to remind them that I had been on seizure medication for a number of years and the doctors told me that you will always have these temporal lobe seizures unless you stay on medication. Not true. So, you know, it gave me a wonderful opportunity to tell them that and eventually they kind of started to catch the peace. And so anyhow, that peace was just amazing. And we were praying and everything turned out just the way it should have. There weren't even any moments where we felt overwhelmed or anything like that. I mean, I came back to work right away. It was wonderful. God's peace is real. And it comes because 
you have a heart of freedom. Your heart is free. It wasn't enslaved in anything. And so there was no hook there. And it all turned out well. Went through the radiation, and I'm wonderfully fine today. I just want to say that. So, freedom is when we can respond fully to God as the woman that he created us to be. And in that situation, I was able to do that. Now, I want to tell you another story where that same thing did not happen. Just because I know that many times, I think because I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, you know, when you talk about the mistakes you made, it really helps me. So hopefully this one is going to help somebody. This was just last January. In fact, it was around that, it was right in that period of time where I think I was supposed to speak on the week when there was a cancellation, or when, when the, uh, the snow came. And so, uh, but my husband and I had kind of jockeyed some things around, and we had just paid for tickets to go to Florida to spend a couple of sunny days and everything. And, and um, my dad had been having a few health issues, and he was 93 at the time. And he had a, uh, you know, he had just had a doctor's appointment, and the doctor said, well, you know, we can do the surgery in a couple weeks. And so, you know, I, they, he said, we'll go to Florida, no problems. And so we were, gonna, we're planning to go, and I'm here at work on the Tuesday before we're supposed to go. And I'm, I'm doing my work, and all of a sudden I get this feeling in my gut. And so I prayed. And I really didn't, I didn't think I heard anything at that time. And I thought, you know what? That could be my flesh. Maybe, maybe some old fear thing is trying to come back or something. And, and so I kind of pushed it off for a little bit. But about an hour later, I thought, you know what? I need to go see my dad. And so I hopped in the car. I drove the, the two hours to go see my dad. And when I got there, he was not quite delirious. His vitals were really bad. And I said, Dad, I need to take you to the emergency room. Actually, I first said, we need to get an ambulance. He said, I'm not going in an ambulance. And, you know, you don't tell a 93-year-old man what to do, I'm just saying, especially if he's your dad. And so I said, okay, well, we're going to go then. He says, not until you wash my hair. And he, managed, and he wasn't talking that plainly. And so he has this beautiful white hair, and I had to wash his hair. And so we did that. I put a towel on his head and shoved him in the car. We get to the hospital, and he's in acute kidney failure, and he has a gangrenous gallbladder. And so they said, we're going to have to do emergency surgery after they got his kidney numbers up uh, where they needed to be. So anyhow, they admitted him. I stayed right there with him. In the time that he was there, this isn't as sad a story as it sounds, so it has a good ending. Let me just tell you that right now, okay? I don't want anybody to be feeling like, oh, no, what's going to happen? So... So he had, was on a blood thinner. And when you're on a blood thinner, they can't do a gallbladder surgery. And so they said, well, we're going to, you know, we'll try to wait it out and do it. Well, within like a day and a half, they said, we cannot wait any longer. So we're going to have to put him on a med. Well, they didn't actually tell me. In fact, I had stepped out of the hospital at the time. And when I, when I got back, I, got, I had gotten a phone call from my dad, and I couldn't even understand him. He was hallucinating so badly. And he just had horrible hallucinations, which were uh, actually related to that med that they had to use. So he had hallucinations for several days. And then they were finally, probably 
two days before the surgery. They did the surgery, and amazingly, they were able to do the surgery on him, got it all out, everything turned out wonderful. He still had the hallucinations, and he also was having heart problems. And so I'm sleeping at the uh, hospital there with him and, you know, and doing all of this. And, and, you know, it was the hallucinations, I think, was what did it to me. He just wasn't in his right mind, and, and I just started to get really fearful. And so I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray. And then in the night, when his heart would go acting kind of crazy, and they'd, the monitors would all go off, they'd come rushing in. It was night after night of that. And each night, I would just pray. I would read scripture to him. He couldn't even understand what I was saying, I'm sure. And, and it was horrible. And, and the, the, finally, they did the surgery. And when they did the surgery, he never even came to in the recovery room. And it's like all of this horrible stuff, except for one funny thing that I have to tell you. He wasn't, he wasn't awake. His eyes never opened. But my dad is a lover of poetry. It's hard to believe. He's a big line. He was a lineman for Consumers Power. And he, all of a sudden, he's making these oh noises. And then all of a sudden, after he'd done that for five or six minutes, I, I knew what he was doing. He was like, I think that I shall never see the poem as lovely as a tree. And I mean, it was a horrible time, but we couldn't help it. We were just, the nurses were cracking up. I was cracking up. And you know, God, God will sometimes give you a little bit of a light in the midst of the storm. But that night, uh, he, he didn't wake up at all. And then the next night, he almost died. And I'm going through this stuff, and it's like, I don't, I, it's like I don't feel like I'm connecting with God. I'm so focused on this, this situation. You know, what we, soak, what we focus on will control our life. You know, that's why freedom ministry and the things that we do in freedom ministry are not problem-focused. We are kingdom-focused. You know, we're focused on God's present activity on the earth today. Unfortunately, at that time and moment, I was not thinking about that. I was thinking about my dad. I was thinking about this situation. And it was, it was really not good at all. And so then to make things even worse, I mean, they finally, it was time for him to go home. And, but they said, well, he cannot go home. And, you know, now he's going to have to have help for 24-7 for um, at least two weeks. And it was going to be up to me to do it if he didn't, you know, go to a nursing home. So I, I said, well, yes, of course I'll go. And it was right then that the ice storm hit. He lives 20 miles out in the middle of nowhere, has a generator that's out in the garage that I have never been able to successfully start on my own. And in the night, he's making these weird noises. He's not breathing well. He's in pain. And I mean, it just every night after night after night, and I got to the place where it just tore me apart. And I couldn't figure out why God wasn't doing something. You know, it was like a nightmare for me, you know. And uh, anyhow, I, I, thought, you know, I thought about things like, well, what if he needs an ambulance and they can't get here because of the roads? Or what if I can't start the generator? You know, what if, what if, what if? How many times have you been in a situation where you've had the what ifs? Yeah, the what ifs will eat you up. And I should have known better. I did know better. But I had, I had a seed of fear that was planted in there from something that had happened a long time ago. And I didn't even realize this until last night. That, that, that's probably where that came from. It is gone, by the way. And, but it was, I was a mess. I was so focused on that situation and all those negative possibilities. And then, you know, there was one night 
And fortunately, it was like, I don't know, I think I had four or five nights left there. And uh, one night, you've heard of having, you know, a, a come-to-God meeting? Well, God had a come-to-Deb meeting. And he said to me, it just I mean, I heard it as clear as could be. He said, you were never responsible for your father. I've got him. And it was like, in that instant, I mean, it, it was like, it, it's a miracle. I mean, in that instant, all of that was gone. All of it. I mean, it didn't matter what happened. Because in that instant, because I heard the voice of God, it brought a change on the inside of me. Which is why it is so important that we, we uh, learn to hear God's voice, to, to be in the scriptures so that we know what his voice sounds like. And it changed everything for me. You know, I have I had a couple of moments, though, when I was thinking during the worship, I thought, where was that worship team when I needed them? If they had been there, I would have been, I, I mean, it wouldn't have been an issue at all. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that, that also came to me right after that thought was that when you were at your worst, there's nothing you can do at all. He is there. He is. He is there. And the thing that was really good about this, you know, while we know that it is that the devil looks for an opportune time, and he found one with me, and he fed me all sorts of lies that for some reason I just took in, my Heavenly Father was there to speak truth to me. And you know, the other amazing thing is about that is that, um, well, two things, really. It was like in an instant, with two short sentences, he completely destroyed a stronghold of fear and a stronghold of false responsibility. I mean, two short sentences on his part was all it took. And that one little thing probably had been there forever, and, and then that actually probably was like really dislodged. I dealt with the rest of it. But, you know, it's like, it's like how can you comprehend that? And that's why we say that freedom has process and moments. You know, what happened that night was a moment. I'd gone through a horrible process that was not of God's doing. It was my doing. It was my lack of a choice to reach out to him in the way that I knew I should. And, but then there, with, the, with the story about the peace, there was a process there. Because in the, he spoke to me, and it was like a seed that had been planted at the beginning of the year, which prepared my heart for everything that was ahead. And so in your life, you'll go through these times where you have a need for something that you're going to God for, and you may be in the process. It may take a while, but he is there and he's working. Even when we don't see it, he's working. And just like the song said, he's working, and he never stops working. And, and the other thing is, is even though I'm the freedom pastor and I blew it in that whole situation, you know what? God is not put off by my imperfections, my mistakes, and he is always there for me. And he will always be there for you. It's who he is. So um, that whole episode gave me a new me meaning or a definition of freedom. And my newest definition of freedom now is that freedom is when nothing or no one has a hold on you but Jesus. Think about what your life would be like if nothing or no one had a hold on you but Jesus. It, it has helped me a lot. And, you know, here's the thing. We see everything that we see, but we don't see everything there is to see. He does. 
And he not only sees it then, he also sees it in advance. And when we focus only on what's happening in the natural, we're focused on the problem, and the problem gets bigger. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.18 said this. He said, not to look at the things which are seen, but to look at the things that are not seen. That, is a, that brings so much freedom. Just that one sentence doesn't mention the word freedom, but if we look at the things not seen instead of looking at the things that are seen, we can't magnify God. That he, he, can't, he can't get any bigger than he is, but we magnify him in our view, and we see him for the, for, for the big God that he really is, and that makes all of the problems seem smaller. Um, but if we focus on the, the problem... The problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and God seems farther away. Um, so I think we have a human tendency to think of freedom as the absence of something. You know, like if only, uh, you know, if only it hadn't been snowing. If that snow wasn't, and ice wasn't there, I would be fine, you know. But freedom is not the absence of something. It's not the absence of a problem. It's not the absence of a mindset that you may have that's incorrect. It's not the absence of uh, a situation with a spouse that's causing you emotional issues. It, you know, it's not the absence of a problem, but it is the presence of someone. And that's a very biblical definition because here, listen to 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. And I, I always say this just to draw extra attention to it. I always make the O in someone, the second O, it's a capital O for him. It's that he's the only someone that could do that. And we know that God is present everywhere and at all times. So he's always accessible. And we know that when we turn our focus and our attention to him, even if he has to be the one who initiates it, he's there and he's available. 2 Corinthians 3.18 goes on, and it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I like the CEV uh, version of this a little bit better. It makes it a little more clear, and I like this. So our faces are not covered. They show the bright glory of the Lord as the Lord's Spirit makes us more and more like our glorious Lord. And you know, that's what it's about. We're becoming, we're, we are to grow and continue growing and taking next steps to keep growing more and more into the image of Christ and into the fullness that he has. And when we experience freedom and we walk in freedom and we begin to look more and more like him. And his presence will bring his power to do an inner work of freedom in us that could, in a, a work of freedom in us that could never be done by any kind of human effort. And that's, that's the truth. Um, really, that's his part. His presence is his part. And we have a part to play as well in the process. And like I said, um, you know, when God gave me the word peace, I talked about that a little bit. It didn't, it didn't Im immediately, the fullness of that didn't come. It was that process. Um, we all love the moments. The moments are wonderful. I will never forget the moment he said, you were never responsible for your father. And it has caused me to look at a lot of different situations differently as well. And to recognize that perhaps I had a little bit of false responsibility in other areas, which I have gotten free from. Which is when I'm actually even delegating a little bit better. I'm just saying. 
And I have never been a good delegator. Don't tell your husband that, please. He already knows. <laughs> My boss. <laughs> um, so, but you, you can see from the story I told about those, uh, the, what I, the point that you can see from the story that I told about both of those is that freedom came when I heard God's voice. If, if I, I could have read a scripture that said something along that same line, it, it could have just been, even though it was God's inspired word, it wouldn't have hit me the same. It probably would have been like, okay, yeah, I know it says that. But when you hear him speak it to your heart, it, it really becomes, it goes from just being information, it really becomes revelation, and that's when the transformation can take place. So uh, you can see why hearing God is vital to your personal freedom. Um, you're transformed as you hear God and as you receive the things that he's saying and you act on them. And, and really, this whole thing is strongly related to faith. Romans 10:17 says, So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Passion Translation says it this way, Faith then is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance. It's kind of an old term there, anointed utterance. But it's, it's bathed in a heart that, re, it, it's ba birthed, sorry about that. It's birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance. It shows that, you know what, he has a part. He's, he's giving us the faith, but we birth it. Um, you know, I, as I read that, I got a picture of, of a heart coming to life as God speaks to it. And, and I'm wondering here today if there's a, a person who needs to hear, you know, God speak to your heart that way. You know, why not ask him to? Why not ask him to? I think we can sometimes think, especially in, you know, in a full gospel type church, we can have the idea that, you know, um, faith comes from us. I remember in my earlier years thinking, oh, if I just had more faith, I need to work up more faith. I need to get more faith. But you know what? Faith is not initiated by us. God initiates it. Faith comes by hearing. His, he's got the hard part. He has to initiate that. Not that it's hard for him. There's nothing too difficult for him. But our part is just to hear. Faith comes by hearing. And by hearing, faith comes. It's pretty simple, really. Um, as he speaks, we hear, and faith comes. So think about this. You know, we read the Bible, and really, cover to cover, the Bible really is a story or a, a, a bunch of stories about people who walked with God and heard God's voice. So actually, probably the most biblical thing any of us can do beyond being sozoed is to hear his voice, is to hear his voice. He wants to talk to us about a lot of different things, um, but really, you know, what he really wants to talk to us about more than anything is he wants to talk to us about who we are and how he feels about us. In Matthew 3.17, this is right after, or when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, and he heard that voice come from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I love, in him I am well pleased. You know, he identified, he did, he did some things there. He identified Jesus as his son, and then he told him how he felt about him, and that he was well pleased with him. You know, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about yourself is not what truly defines you. It's what your Heavenly Father says about you that truly defines you. But here's the thing. What you believe about yourself 
will affect every single circumstance in your life, every single situation. I'm going to say that again. Uh, what you believe about yourself is not what truly defines you. Only what your father believes about you defines you. However, what you believe about yourself affects the experiences you have in this world. So what we believe is very important if we're going to live abundantly free. Um, God says this, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. He says, For as high as the heavens are, the heavens, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, we, we, we see things from just one perspective usually. He sees things from every angle all the time. Every angle all the time. Places we could never see from. Um, his thoughts are much higher than ours. He considers everything in, in multiple ways. I mean, he, I, I, he just, he sees it all. He sees it all. Colossians 1.13 says, uh, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he love, loves. And Ephesians 2.6 says that he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And right now, this is our position. He seated us with him in the heavenly realms. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees you if you are a believer. He sees you there, seated right there. I mean, when I get a picture of that, and I think, how could I ever doubt his closeness and his nearness, his goodness, his mercy, his power? He seated us there. He, and, and you know what? If he seated you there, you deserve to be there because you are his daughter, whom he loves, in whom he is well pleased. He's not grading you on performance, on how well you are you know, walking through strongholds or, or breaking down devil's lies or kicking down walls or whatever. You know, he, he's, not, he's not grading you on that. He's grading you on the fact that you are his daughter and he loves you. Actually, he's not even grading you. But if he was, you'd get about a, a 100 plus, 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 plus. So, um, you know, we said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I want to talk just a minute about um, the difference between our thoughts and our beliefs. Because our, there's, a, there's a difference between thoughts and beliefs. Um, our core beliefs really are those things that have been seeded into, in our lives through experience, you know, through maybe through things we've been taught. It could be things that you experienced that you shouldn't have, that God didn't intend for you to. Uh, it could have happened uh, for things that, that um, you know, didn't happen that should have. It could be just the words that were spoken over you. All of those things that happened usually at an early age, they have an impact on you, and they begin to shape a lens over your heart. And it's like you view reality through that lens for the things that you believe. You can have thoughts in your head, and you can usually say, I, I can define my thoughts. Like, you know, for example, you know, uh, let's see, uh, I'm not very hungry. Maybe I'll just go to the olive tree and get a salad. Ah, I don't want a salad. I'm going to get a burger. 
Nope, I'm not going to get a burger. I'm going to see if Karen will buy me. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Thoughts can change just like that. But beliefs, they get settled and seated in your heart. And it, it takes more than uh, just a flip of a coin for a belief to change. It, it takes having those areas where there have been lies that you have believed, lies that the enemy has made you believe. You know, and, and lies is a big word, and sometimes we struggle with that. I think some people may. But it's really just those things that, that are just, um, they've been like wounds, or there've been, you know, there may be a scar here or there or something. And those things are just, they're there, and you, you, they kind of get in the way of things. They make life uncomfortable. They make you feel like you're stuck. They make you feel like maybe you're not as good as other people. They might make you feel like, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. And it's not because it's true, but it's because somewhere along the way, some of your experience pointed to something like that, and a little thing got stuck in your heart. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. It, it'll start as thoughts. You'll, you'll start to think, you know, kind of like, like I like this example, you know. Uh, let's see. If you do something stupid, you think, oh, that was stupid. And then you think, I'm stupid. How likely do you think it is that you're going to turn around and do something smart at that point? No, because it's, you've, you've, you've cycled this thing through, and that's what we do, isn't it? The thoughts will come, and the thoughts will go. We're always meditating on something. We might be meditating on, what am I going to wear today? We might be meditating on, I wonder what Carrie's going to wear today. I don't know. You know, we're always meditating on something. And our thought life is just is really important, but it's especially important, not because of the thoughts. I mean, they're, they're important, but it's when they get down and they reside in your heart in a way that brings some sort of a negative emotion. And psychologists will say, or at least some of the ones that I've read, that fear really is like the, the main, like I would call him like the, the big dude who is the, the head of all of the emotions that are, you know, could be troubling. And, and, and it's at kind of at the root of all of that. And so, you know, if something, I, I think the thing that I want to say to you is this. Maybe I'm going to close with this. I don't know. Uh, you know, when something happens in your life, you have an opportunity, you know, if there's something that happens and it, it gives up a negative event of, you could call it a negative event, but it's something that causes you pain or fear or some other emotion that is just really uncomfortable, you know, you have a choice at that moment because the, the enemy is going to be quick because, remember, he's looking for an opportune time. He, he's going to be quick to come and say, Karen, that happened because God doesn't love you. You know, he, he's going to come and he's going to say, or he, he's, he could say, that happened because you did that. And you're bad. Nobody could love you. And if you believe that lie, if you believe that and you don't do anything with that, it's going to kind of sit there. And after time, you're going to start to feel like, oh, no, nobody loves me. God doesn't even love me. And you're going to start to put up some sort of a defense because instead of running to God, who is the one who wants to be your protector, your comforter, your source of security, you're now withdrawing into yourself. 
and you're being your own source of comfort, your own protector. And isn't that what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the first place? They decided that they wanted to be their own source of knowledge of good and evil. Then that's what cut them off and disconnected them from God in the first place. You know, we don't want to be our own source. We want God to be our source. So, and so what happens then, though, it, with this, it, it gets wait, wait, it gets worse. So now you're, you're, you've got this defense that you're putting up. Maybe you're preemptively rejecting other people. But then it hurts because now they're rejecting you. And so you're back up here. And now you've got this rejection thing that just happened. And it, you have another opportunity. Am I going to believe a lie or am I going to believe the truth? But see, most of the time we don't even recognize that there's a lie there. So what I want to encourage you in is the way to nip this whole thing in the bud. This is simple, like Freedom Ministry 101. <laughs> and, and if you come to it, I'll tell you about the classes a little bit later. But if in that moment something causes you fear or pain or a negative emotion, my go-to question is, God, how do you see that? How do you see me? What do you want to say to me about that? And when you do that, that pain or that fear or whatever that negative emotion is, it's like, it's like it's gone because you're hearing his approval and you can go to him and he is your source of comfort. You don't need, you don't need alcohol, you don't need drugs, you don't need uh, a romance novel right then. You know, it's, it's not that type of a thing. Uh, it, you've got him, he's, he's now your source of protection and comfort. And so because of that, you're not putting out any like bristles to other people or anything. So it's not likely that that event will happen again. Not as likely. You can break that cycle. So it's simple. Just if, if, if something causes you fear or pain, two, two or three quick questions to God. And he will tell you the truth. And because you know what? What are the things he wants to talk to you about more than anything else? He wants to talk to you about who you are, his beloved daughter, and how he feels about you. So with that, I didn't really go into beliefs very much or anything, but you know what? I think that's where we were supposed to go. Um, so Karen has asked me to talk to you about freedom ministry and uh, some of the different things. And because Jesus paid such a huge price for us to be abundantly free, and I believe when we, when we take that time and we break those strongholds that way, it leads to abundant freedom. Because I'll tell you what, once you see the results of that one time, you just want to look for it and you go, got that one. And it's going to be kind of like the whack-a-mole game. You're going to actually have fun with it. It's like, oh, that devil's trying to lie to me again. There he is, there he is. You know, I don't know, I always liked that game. But I, I don't play it now that my kids are in their 30s. I'm just saying. But, but he paid a, a, a huge price for your abundant freedom. And that's why Res Life really wants to do anything we can to support you in, in walking in freedom, getting rid of mindsets, learning how to think differently about the things that you're currently thinking about, and to really break some of those, those habits and those, those patterns, but really more than anything, to direct you and help you in a way that you're hearing God's voice so he can be the one who's speaking truth to you. So, Father, I pray for each one here, Lord, that, 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 that as you speak to them even this day, Lord, that, you, that they hear your voice in a very clear way. And Lord, that, that they recognize that you are the one that they can come to, 
and know that you will never turn them away. You will always love them. You will always speak the truth to them. And Lord, that they are safe with you. You will comfort them. You will protect them and be their source of security. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I